From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. We are very excited, not only for today's guest, but also we're excited to announce that LADFF is hosting a special screening of the award-winning feature film, Disfluency. That's going to be April 21st at the Lemley NoHo 7, and tickets are available right now at LADFF.com. And today, we are lucky enough to be joined by the film's writer and director, Anna Baumgarten. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Nicholas. And you are you're on the tour right now. You're on the festival tour, which is exciting. What city are you in right now? Yeah. So right now I am between festivals. I was just at Cleveland. I'm heading to Capital City in Lansing, Michigan tonight. Oh, wow. Yeah, just for the evening. And then I'm popping over to Florida next week. Holy geez. <laughs> and then back to LA place. for the, yeah, back to <laughs> LA for the screening with you guys. So Yeah, this, uh, the, the tour across America with Disfluency. It's awesome. Yeah, glad to be doing it. For those who don't know about it, tell the audience a little bit about your film, Disfluency. Disfluency is a coming-of-age story that follows Jane, who fails her final college class and goes home for the summer. And over the course of the film, she comes to terms with the traumatic event that derailed her senior year and caused her to fail. And it deals a lot with communication. She does a language study to get extra credit to make up for this class and so that we really dig into how we communicate and what different words and phrases mean and if different people say them, all sorts of things. So we focus not only on the use of disfluencies and filler words, but we also have ASL in the feature, which is different from the short. Yeah. And if anybody knows about speech disfluencies... It's our producer, Anselm, because he has to <laughs> edit all of our podcasts, which I use them very frequently. So, <laughs> but speaking of the short, you know, LADFF, we screened the short film version of this back in, in 2019, which was directed by the amazing Laura Holiday. Hi, Laura, if you're listening. <laughs> that script was also written by you. Talk to us about the journey from short film to feature film and how that got expanded. So the short film I wrote in 2017, I think, and I wasn't entirely sure I even wanted to make it. It was kind of just a way for me to work through my own experience with trauma at the time. But I got to a point where I felt really compelled to make it and I have a background in producing. So I had this short script. I wanted to produce it. I considered directing it, but I really wasn't ready at the time. So I asked Laura if she would like to come on and direct it. And she did. And thank God, because she did such a beautiful job. Laura is one of my very best friends and it was amazing working with her. And she's one of the people that really encouraged me to direct the feature. So I owe Laura a lot. Short to feature. So just fluency, the short happened and we took it around, you know, on the festival circuit. We screened with you guys, which was amazing. We screened in Cleveland where we just screened the feature. So everything's been really full circle with it. But we submitted the short to a lab called the Short Feature Lab, which is run by Jim Cummings and Ben Wiesner of Vanishing Angle. 
And I ended up going to Malibu for five days with other filmmakers. And we all, you know, talked about how we would develop our films into features and whatnot. And that's where I really made the decision to move forward with it. And from the lab to shooting was only like six or seven months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I literally started the outline at the lab. And then six months later, we were shooting the feature film. Yeah, that's a very fast turnaround. Yeah, that's great. And labs, I think, are, are wonderful in that sense because... As you know, writing can be such a, a lonely process. Oh, yeah. And especially solid. when you're doing something that's, you know, somewhat of a heavy subject matter like this film, it's great to have instant feedback or just to be in the midst of other stories that are being told because those kind of help you work through your story in a way. So that's really awesome and very impressive that you guys were able to get it from page to screen that quickly. That's awesome. Yeah. Something that we talked about at the lab was how everyone from investors to crew, cast, everyone, everyone wants to get on a moving train. Mm -hmm. So once the train started moving, we kept it going. Thus, I mean, I know the timeline was fairly quick, but the momentum itself really helped get us all there and get it done. So I don't know if I would do it that way again exactly, but (laughs) I'm so glad that we did for this one. And it's also a story that kind of came pouring out of me it's a reflection on experiences I've had and friends of mine have had. But Jane's story really is her own and her own journey. But it really came to me pretty quickly. So that alone helped us get to the finish line. The film is called Disfluency. And as you mentioned, speech and language in general are such integral parts of the story and integral part of Jane's arc as a character, which I thought was brilliant. Talk to us about the inspiration of injecting language and speech disfluency into the trauma, the conflict of what this character is going through. Talk to us about where that came from, if you could. The inspiration to dive into speech and communication in general came from my own anxiety, actually. So after I kind of went through this trauma and was dealing with PTSD and imposter syndrome, I not only found myself apologizing and using the word sorry in language a lot more, you know, it's one of those words people kind of throw around, even though the denotation of it is very serious. Like, sorry is a very serious word, but we shift the connotation when we use it so casually. Mm-hmm. And filler words lose their meaning, tend to lose their meaning when you use them more often. So I was having panic attacks. And one of the only words I could get out was sorry. And I was just thinking about that. And then I started thinking about all these other words like um and like and totally and how I didn't really know much about why we use them and where they came from. So I you know, just started doing research on this and came across the phrase disfluency, which you know, we don't speak fluently, we speak disfluently. And that's really all it means. The term disfluency is mostly used in referring to stuttering and developmental speech disorders and whatnot. So you'll hear it more commonly in the real world used there, but normal speech disfluency is a real thing. I mean, you and I have been talking and saying um and the like multiple times, even saying, you know, all of that is disfluent. So that's where the inspiration came from. And then I thought about how this traumatic thing that happened to Jane threw her off track. But as women, we're kind of, you know, expected to go through certain traumas almost as coming of age, almost as a part of our culture. So her experience, her traumatic experience is almost kind of like a blip, like a disfluency in our culture. Like we're just supposed to kind of get over it. But 
the denotation of what that actually is, kind of like the word sorry, is very serious. So taking back the connotation and um, really, <laughs> and um, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, sister, I'm, I'm the master. of. I mean, we all are. That's That was like what was, I think, so relatable about the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We interviewed Laura, Laura Holiday, who directed this short a few years back when we screened the short film. And after watching the short, I remember going on set the next day after I watched it for the first time. And I noticed just how much sorry was used for no good reason. You know, just like mm-hmm. nobody did anything wrong, but they, they kept saying sorry. So it was like, it was something that like, once you were aware of it, it was like, you were looking at the world through new eyes. I'm interested to hear about like your writing process in writing in the speech disfluency because, you know, people write dialogue and it's not always necessarily realistic. You know, like Aaron Sorkin, for example, you know, mm-hmm. he writes this like really great dialogue, but it's that's not how people talk. They don't talk like it's musical. But you have the speech disfluency baked into your character's dialogue because it is a part of the story. So I'm curious, was that something that came easy or did you have to kind of go back into different drafts and like inject, be like, "Mm, we should add some totalies in here, you know? Yes. It's interesting because it's like exactly what they tell you not to do in screenwriting, which is, yeah, you don't put ums and likes and things and film in general. I mean, you know, scripts and when you're sticking to the book, there's a lot less disfluencies that I think are normally in films. I did very intentionally inject it and go back and look at what each of the different characters were saying. And also when I was working with the actors on set, there were times when I would say, you know, hey, Jane or whoever is stumbling around here a little bit, it's okay if you put a few more words in here. And I don't like to give like full reins to just, you know, stumble around. But there were moments where I said, let's add an um here or let's add a moment, you know, let's add a totally, whatever it might be. It was definitely on the page. And then it was definitely a part of the actual production process and working with the actors. That's, that's really cool to hear. And I mean, it felt so natural. Like, uh, you know, like I, the first time watching it, obviously Jane is doing the study. So it, again, it's a part of the story, but I watched the film twice. And the second time I made a point to like pick up on the disfluencies because you don't, you don't call them out. They're just there as we speak in normal day to day. So the, the dialogue felt very natural and it's incredibly well done. So congratulations on that. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. And I want to talk about you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of filmed this f- movie where you grew up. Is that correct? Yes. I filmed it in my hometown of Commerce Township, Michigan. And the locations in it are my parents' backyard my grandmother's house, my aunt's house, the ice cream street down the block that I grew up, you know, going to as a kid, a local grocery store. So yeah, it's very, very homegrown, homemade. And it was a delight and very cathartic actually to shoot in this area. Such a blessing and so wonderful to have everyone here and the perfect time of year in Michigan too, that, you know, end of August, early September, summer. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks beautiful. Um, Envious that you grew up there. It's like really very, very picturesque, but you must've been like, uh, the, you know, like the hometown hero, <laughs> bringing, bringing <laughs> your story back and, and shooting this film there. What, what was that like? Yeah. There's definitely not a lot of movies made around 
here or in my town that I've that I've known of. And you know, Michigan cut the film incentive, so there hasn't been a ton of narrative filmmaking in the state mm-hmm. in the past five plus years. But yeah, I mean, people, neighbors would stop and ask what we were doing. Everyone was very accommodating. You know, there were people that would be running their lawnmowers, you know, a few houses down and we'd tell them we're making a movie and we'd ask them if they could hold all of that stuff. And everyone was pretty excited and supportive about it in the community. So that was really wonderful. Yeah, such a different experience than filming in like Los Angeles or anywhere else. I love, I love the backdrop. I love the landscape and I've always wanted to shoot something here because I just adore it so much. Yeah. In Los Angeles, if they find out you're filming, they intentionally turn on their lawnmowers. So that way they can get their, their hundred dollar payoff. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's so awesome. Yeah, that's, that's like uh, such a, you talked about full circle. This film is a lot of full circles for you. It seems like. Yeah. Big time, big time. And I also, I think the most unexpected thing for me was I had, you know, had an experience similar to Jane's in college and it was really hard for my family to understand and talk about. And it's hard. It's a hard thing to go through and to discuss. And making the movie was a way for my family to, you know, help me in a concrete way. And it kind of, you know, we we weren't directly talking about me, but it really helped us all come together. And I think it gave us all a lot of catharsis, which was unexpected, but amazing. And even just my friends from college, you know, it's all, it's a lot of University of Michigan alumni and uh, Michigan locals coming together because they believe in this story and the support around it was very healing for me. So that was wonderful. I can't even put it into words. That's so beautiful to hear. I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that. If we can, let's talk about the star, Lee Baverer. She does such an incredible job, especially portraying that internal battle, you know, and she was in the short film as well. So to a certain extent, she was familiar with the character. But if you can talk to us about how you two created the character of Jane. Libe is amazing. I'll tell you how we kind of met actually. So me and Laura for the short film were looking for an actress to play Jane. And I was just, I was watching Sneaky Pete on Amazon and I saw her and I was like, I've never seen this actress. She's, she feels so familiar, like someone you would know, like a sister or a friend or a neighbor. And I just reached out to her representation and I said, hey, would Libe want to do a short film? She met with us and she, you know, kind of took a chance on us. You know, we didn't know each other. So she came on board and Laura and her worked together and she did such a beautiful job. And when it came to the feature... Libe came on to do the feature and it was such a joy to work with her. I mean, she's an actor who really puts in the work and made my job very easy. And so I wrote Jane for her and I also wrote the sister character, Lacey, for Libe's real life sister, Ariella Barrer, and wrote them as sisters, which again, made my job very easy because they're both talented actresses and they have this chemistry as sisters baked in. Um, So that was really wonderful. Uh, Libe and I had a lot of conversations about Jane and who she was and where she came from and how this experience manifested for her. And we didn't do a ton of, you know, actually running through lines rehearsing. We just really did a lot of character work and she brought so much to the table. And when we got on set, we were so in sync. We just got the camera up and started shooting and, you know, giving adjustments and things. I, I don't like to rehearse or over rehearse with actors. I like to just do the work with them and then they bring that character to the table. And I also think that gives a very fresh performance when you have all of the talent together and kind of 
doing it live for the first time in front of the camera. But yeah, working with Libé was incredible. I can't wait to find another project to work with her again. And yeah. Yeah, her performance in the climax of the film is just outstanding in the police station bathroom. Yeah. You make a a really strong and, and wonderful choice in that scene as well to just leave the camera on her face for the entirety of that scene. If you can't talk to us about that choice because it works so well and the film is loosely based off of personal experience, how difficult that scene was for for both of you and for the crew. Yeah, we shot the police station scene and the police station bathroom all in one day, Mm -hmm. which was a lot of emotional labor from everyone on set. I actually, as a writer, I wrote that bathroom monologue in one sitting and I don't think I changed a word in any of that. That's great. Drafts. Yeah. And I was, I like wrote it and I was crying and I was like, you know, I, I passed around a few people. I was like, does this work? And they were like, oh my gosh, yes. The reason why I think the one take works so well is because we give people little pieces of the story through flashbacks throughout the film. I feel like there are so many like mysteries and con documentaries out there right now. And we're all waiting to hear like the truth and the story and whatnot. Um, so giving everyone these little pieces and then we finally get to the, the meaty part where you get to hear everything that happens and then making people sit and listen, even though it is a little long and there are some kind of more, you know, mundane details and having people have to listen to her as a survivor. That was very important to me is giving Jane the time and space to say everything she wants to say and not cut away from her. So that's how that came about. And when Libe and I were working on that scene together, it was so important that this wasn't just like sad thing happens to sad girl and sad movie and she cries. Um, The many multifaceted feelings and aspects of that performance come from imposter syndrome and confusion and anger. And, you know, there's all these different highs and lows and it's not just one note. And she played that scene like a symphony, man. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Like you said, the one shot, you know, puts this audience in a place where it's like, we need to listen to her. And I think what's so great about her performance is it feels like almost kind of for the first time, Jane's listening to herself, you know, like she's (laughs) getting the story out and she's working her way through it, you know, maybe for the first time herself is so, is so beautiful and so, so powerful. And I like hearing that you wrote it in one sitting, you know, it it makes all the sense in the world because, you know, like it comes from the heart. So you wrote it in one take and you're shooting it in one shot. I think that's so incredible. I, I really love this film. We're very excited to be screening it, Anna. We're so, we're so stoked. I'm so stoked to be screening it with you guys. I mean, when we screen the short with you, you guys just put on a quality show and care and love and time and attention into filmmakers. So I super value that. And it's really an honor to be screening with y'all. It's our pleasure. Disfluency, come join us, everybody. It's going to be at the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival for one night only, April 21st at the Lemley Theater in North Hollywood. And tickets are available right now at LADFF.com. You can also go to Lemley Theater's website and get tickets there. Anna, once again, congratulations on a beautiful film. And thank you so much for doing this with us today. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward. And we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.